Thank you, uh, Joanna and the uh, worship team. Um, the last song we sang is, uh, was a well-chosen song, and uh, um, we didn't coordinate about the use of that song, but I think um, it speaks uh, clearly to um, what we are uh, talking about today. Talking about community, we have started a three-week series last week. Uh, John Freiberg uh, spoke about um, the why of community, what the um, Bible says about what a community is, is, is like. He mentioned that it was like um, a family. We, those of us that follow uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, are part of one family. Not a family that we were born into physically, but a family that we were born into spiritually. And we need to take care of each other like family members take care of each other. We're part of the body. We each been, have been gifted in different ways. And just like when one part of the body hurts, the whole body uh, suffers. If one part of the body doesn't function properly, the whole body um, suffers because of that. And today we're going to be talking about um, what the Bible says about how the early church practiced community. I've called it a community reimagined, but it's um, an idea of, or an illustration of what the early church did to live out um, community, what community looked like um, soon after uh, Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, and how the, the apostles themselves um, portrayed um, community and thought that community should be lived. We're going to start off with the great, greatest commandment, because I think this, uh, uh, these, these particular verses about love help to uh, underline um, what the uh, community of God should look like. We start off with um, the greatest command. Uh, you may recall that um, there was a lawyer that came to Jesus and said, okay, what is the greatest command? Apparently it was a, kind of a trick question. Uh, he was trying to trip up Jesus. But Jesus said, uh, the greatest command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest command. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And you may recall the, the, the lawyer said, well, if that's the case, um, what is my neighbor? And the, the answer that Jesus gave was in the form of a parable. And the parable was um, the Good Samaritan parable. And the point of the, of the parable was that a neighbor is somebody, not necessarily even a friend of yours, but a neighbor is even an enemy, because the Samaritans were enemies of the Jews. And yet, a neighbor is somebody you should love. You should love your enemies, is Jesus' point. And, and Jesus said, this, these two verses basically summarize all of the Jewish Bible, when it says all the law and the prophets hang on these, the uh, Jewish Bible, which is our Old Testament, um, was often referred to as the law and the prophets. So if you were to say, what, is, what, what summarizes the Old Testament? Jesus summarizes it right here. We're to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourself. Okay? But what does this have to do with the community that we're talking about today? Well, at the Last Supper, this was the night 
that Jesus was arrested, Jesus gave a new command. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Now, for many, many years, I've been a Christian for a long time. Many, many years, I just thought that Jesus was restating the second commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. But as I started looking at this more intensely, I realized that he's talking about something very different here. This is a new command. The commands he gave before were old commands for a thousand years or so before. But this was a new command. How is it new? Well, it's new in, in several different ways. One is he's talking about not loving your neighbor, but he's talking about loving one another. Whereas a neighbor can be anybody, any people, believer or not. Loving one another means you're loving each other. The disciples he's talking to in this particular passage, he's talking about he wants the 11 disciples to love each other. And it actually happened. You didn't see in the early church among the 11 disciples that they started fighting over who was going to take Jesus' place after he was crucified and left. They worked together in love. It wasn't that they didn't have disagreements at times, but they loved each other and they worked through those disagreements. And not only did Jesus want those 11 disciples to love one another, but by extension, the disciples realized that everyone, all disciples, needed to practice that love for one another. I just some, so I like little charts to kind of help me crystallize my, my thinking. But again, the differences in the new command were to love one another. That's believers with other believers only. And we're not to be loving other believers just as ourselves, but we're to be loving each other as Jesus loved his disciples. And as we saw in the earlier slide, you know, Jesus was watch, washing the feet of the disciples. He was serving them. He was even willing to die for them. That's the kind of love that we should have for each other. And it's not because it's in the Old Testament. It's not because it's the law and the prophets. It's because Jesus commanded us to do that. It wasn't a, a suggestion. It was a command. We're commanded to love each other as he loved us. Now, how did the apostles roll this out into the community of new Christians? Well, you may recall, um, Jesus ascended, or Jesus was, uh, was raised from the dead, rather, on Easter Sunday. Um, there was uh, 40 days where he came and taught after the resurrection. Then he ascended into heaven, and 10 days later, it was the uh, day of Pentecost, which was on another Sunday. At the day of Pentecost, you may recall, um, there were various miraculous things happened. The disciples had gathered together, um, and people were speaking in languages that they didn't know, which were referred to as tongues. People were amazed. How do these people know languages that they, how can they speak languages that they don't know? And Peter stood up and preached, and people uh, confessed that they had indeed been responsible uh, for uh, calling for Jesus to be crucified. They repented, they, they, and Peter explained how that God had used that to uh, cause 
uh, people's uh, sins to be forgiven. And it says, on the day of Pentecost, this is uh, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, it says 3,000 people made the decision to follow the Lord and were baptized. Now, if you were the apostles and, you know, two, what, two months before or so, uh, maybe, four, what, 50, 53 days or so before, Jesus had told you that you needed to love each other. And you have 3,000 people that have just been baptized and come to faith. What do you do? <laughs> How do you live that out? How do you practice that? Well, we are told exactly what happened, how the disciples are the, the, uh, the 11. Um, practice that. How, how did they make sure that people love God as they should and that they loved one another? Well, we see there were uh, four things that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2, things that they devoted themselves to, that they, they wanted the early believers to devote themselves to. One was the apostles' teaching. One was to fellowship. One was to the breaking of bread, and one was to prayer. And it says, and the Lord added to their number daily. As they practiced this, this with each other, what happened is people were attracted to what they saw, and more and more people decided to become followers of the Lord Jesus. So let's kind of unpack what each of those are. The first one was apostles' teaching. Um, Apparently what happened is there were Christians, these 3,000, and, and a growing number were meeting in homes all over the city of Jerusalem. And um, the apostles would have been very bu- busy if they went from house to house <laughs> preaching. Uh, most likely they were preaching in the temple where there was a large uh, place where people could gather and listen. And it said that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. God was with the apostles as they taught. He um, allowed them to do signs, wonders, and miracles. You know, we, there's stories about how they were able to heal people. They raised people that were lame, um, they, that they could finally walk. They, people that were blind could see. People that couldn't hear could hear. And even we read stories about how the apostles were raising people from the dead. This was God's way of confirming that what the apostles said was true. In fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians 12.12, it says that in order for someone to, be, to, to actually be credited as an apostle, they had to do signs, wonders, and miracles. Somebody claimed to be an apostle and they couldn't do that. That was proof that they were not actually an apostle. And what we see is that these believers would come Every day, it looks like. They continue to meet every day in the temple courts. They would come and listen to the apostles preaching about what they had witnessed when they were with Jesus, what Jesus taught. They were learning every day. Now, we don't have the apostles with us, right? We can't listen to, go to the temple and listen to the apostles. But we do have the New Testament. And the New Testament books were written by the apostles that could do signs, wonders, and miracles. Those books are accredited to us by the signs, wonders, and miracles that they could do. So we don't have the apostles themselves, but we have what the apostles wrote. So that's one thing that they would do. And through the, through the apostles' teaching, they learned how to better love God. They learned how to better love their neighbor. They learned how to better love each other. The, the second one thing that they, they did um, as a community 
was it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. Um, I, I find the word fellowship uh, kind of an unfortunate uh, English translation of the word koinonia, uh, because I think if, if you look at uh, the, the word koinonia in other places, it is often translated sharing. It's uh, not just uh, what we tend to think of. When we think of fellowship, we think of going out into the foyer, uh, grabbing a cup of uh, Starbucks coffee and chatting with somebody and asking them how they're doing, and they say, fine. That's not fellowship in this term, in this sense. It's more the sense of, of they were sharing. And often it was referring to sharing financially. Not just sharing verbally, but sharing whatever you had, including money. In fact, if you, if you go down, it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. That word for common is the same root word as the, the, the root word for fellowship. It's coming, the same root word as koinonia. The idea was that they were having fellowship together and they were sharing what they had, including money they had. And it says they, they were even willing to sell property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And we, we look a few chapters later in the book of Acts, and they had a big program to feed widows. So there, there was money needed to feed the widows that they were supporting every day. You know, I, I think that um, we live in a very materialistic society, personally, I believe. I mean, I come from North America, um, and I find the church is, is uh, infected with, with materialism. We tend to try to accumulate as much money as possible. We work as hard as we can. We keep as much as we can. Um, and we're not as generous as we could be. I, I read some statistic that those in the U.S. that call themselves Christian, on average, give about uh, 2% of their income to the church. Only 2%. And these people here were not wealthy. You, you may remember, if you, if you just think about it, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was, you know, it's the verse about to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll add these things to you. He's talking about food and clothing because the people he was talking to were poor enough that they were concerned about if they had food to eat the next day, if they had, they had clothes to wear. And yet these people were generous in what little they had. You know, I've, I, I think you're aware that, that uh, our church, we support various refugees. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's not a lot of money that we provide to them. That's, you know, you typically for somebody that's single, maybe a million six fifty, which is about a hundred U.S. dollars, right? And yet, sometimes I've had refugees come to me and say, you know, I see somebody over here that has nothing. Is it okay if I share some of what I get with someone else? You know, it's it's a, it's a real sacrifice to them. Sometimes they they'll skip a meal instead of eating three meals a day. They'll skip one of their meals just so they have money to share with somebody else. You know, I don't think, I think very few of us are that, are that poor. We have a lot. But we often don't share what we have. That's what they did. You know, it, it was interesting. Um, there was uh, an early uh, Christian book on discipleship. I, I can't pronounce it correctly, uh, but it's uh, 
I, I read it, and um, I think it's from 1 or 200 AD, and it's talking about fasting. Now, I was a little bit surprised because I always thought people fasted because they were trying to get in touch with the Lord, and, and you know, it's a good time you pray, pray and fast when you're making decisions and whatever else. But what this, this New Testament discipleship uh, book, booklet said, or not New Testament, but it was an early church New Test, uh, uh, document said, is the reason that they were fasting was because they were saving money so they could give to somebody else. They skipped meals so that they had enough to share with someone else. That's the kind of love that they had for each other. That's what kind of community they had for you, among themselves. Another thing that we see that they were devoting themselves to, and that the apostles wanted to be sure that they were devoting themselves to, was breaking bread. Um, that seems to be kind of a generic term for um, having a meal together. I know some people, when you say breaking bread, they think it refers to the Lord's Supper. Although I think they did have the Lord's Supper, um, I think you will um, see in, in another passage, for example, in the book of Acts, where Paul is uh, uh, being taken to Rome as a prisoner, and there's a shipwreck, and then he is able to get on shore in Malta. At that point in time, they hadn't eaten on the boat for a couple of weeks, and it says he broke bread with the people on the, on the boat. <laughs> Um, so they were eating together. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that he were taking communion together. They were just eating together in their homes. And they ate, it says, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were spending time in, in those homes. You know, if it's in a home, it's a much more intimate setting. It's an opportunity to get to know people, to talk. I, I think that uh, nowadays, um, there aren't as many people as they used to that would invite people into their homes. I, I was talking to a, a missionary couple that went back to the U.S. on furlough, and that's when they go and they visit various people around the U.S. that have been supporting them. And when they went back, they said it used to be that when we went to visit people, people would invite us into their homes. But he said, nowadays, nobody does. They just say, let's meet at a restaurant someplace. <laughs> because people are so busy in their schedules. They don't have, have time to cook, or they don't... And, and it's, it makes a difference, you know, when you, you're going to a restaurant, you have waiters come, you, have, you, you feel like you have to leave, you can't have some really in-depth conversations because there's people all around you listening to you. It's, it's, just, it's a different thing. I, I remember fondly when, and I was a fairly new Christian in the church I was in in Dallas, where after... What, what would normally happen is there would be couples that would... Um, put food in a slow cooker in the morning. And what they would do is they would um, look around after the, the church service and invite people, hey, why don't you come over for, for lunch? And we go into their home. And, and I just had a, a lot of uh, good memories about going to people's homes, having conversations. We might talk about what we heard in church that day or just talk about other things. But um, I think... Uh, a home is a, is a place where you invite people um, that I, I think there's a certain amount of hospitality that we, we miss out on days. And um, I think we, because we don't have that, we don't get to know people as well. If, if all you do and your tradition is to come to church on Sunday morning and listen to somebody preach and sing some songs and put money in the offering plate and say, 
hello and then leave, um, you're not really going to have the kind of community that the New Testament church had because you're not spending time with people. And that's why I think this, this song that we sang, Make Room, is so important. I think the reason we don't do it is because we're so busy. We have so many activities, and making a priority to spend time together is not, that's not a priority for, for us. We have, many, we have so many other priorities. We don't make time. We don't make a commitment. And this was a priority for the early church. Another thing they did is they, they spent time and devoted to prayer and to praising God. That may have been in the temple. It may have been in the synagogue. Um, it may have been in the home when they met together. They were praying, praising God. They were also praying for each other. They knew what people's problems were. You know, it's difficult to pray for people or to help people financially if you don't know them and know what issues need to be prayed for. You don't know what issues, you know, problems they have. You know, that's a, spending time together is a prerequisite to be helping people. You know, I mean, I can remember just back to the, the financial issue. I can remember when, uh, like, again, when I was a fairly new Christian and I was reading about what the Bible said about helping the poor. And I didn't, I didn't know anybody that was poor. I lived in North Dallas. I just didn't know anybody. And I think for a lot of us, often we don't know other people. We don't know what their problems are. We're not able to pray for them. We, we're not able to help them when they need help because we don't spend time together in community so we get to know them and their issues and how we can love them. You know, in the early church, they spent time in the temple, and they met their friends. It says they, they, they got to know each other or spent some time together in the temple. But in a large group, it's very difficult to get to know people, right? The Jewish people outside of, of Jerusalem would have gone to a synagogue all around the Roman world. There were, there were synagogues, and they would go sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes on the Sabbath. Uh, typically, it would be on a, a Friday night or a Sunday morning. Um, the, the Jewish people um, had, the, they believed, uh, in a seven-day work week, a seven-day week, where the last day, which was the, the Sabbath, was where there was to be no work done. And that would have started at sunset, or sundown, excuse me, on Friday night until sundown on Saturday. And, the, and all Jews would refrain from working on that day. So they would often go to the synagogue on Friday night. Um, and again, I remember ha having lived in Dallas on Friday night, I would see many Jewish people walk to the synagogue because they believed that driving a car was work and they couldn't work on the Sabbath. But um, in the, in the uh, pagan world, um, outside of Israel, um, for those people that were not Jewish, um, they didn't have a seven-day week. I was, I was just reading about this. Often they, would ha they had an eight-day week, and there were no holidays. <laughs> so we have a seven-day work week, and Saturday, Sunday, we have as a holiday. They had eight days in the week, and no holidays, except there were special events. Uh, they, would, they would celebrate this, this holiday or that holiday, but they had no, uh, day, no weekly holiday like we do on, on Saturday and Sunday. So they were very, very busy people. And many of the early Christians were slaves. And so they didn't necessarily have a day off. They were working every day. 
So it's amazing when I look at the early church around the, the Roman world, they had no weekly holiday, and yet they made time to meet. It talks about how they often met on the first day of the week, which would have been on a Saturday night. They couldn't meet on Sunday morning because they were working. And, and that was true, by the way, and apparently until 321 AD, when Constantine d- declared that the week would consist of seven days, and he said, on Sunday, you don't have to work. And that was when people started meeting on Sunday morning like we do today. But for the first 300 or so years of the Christian church, they didn't meet on Sunday morning, except maybe before, maybe early in the morning before sunrise, before they started working, or after they, they finished their work at night. So we think we're busy. <laughs> you can imagine what these early Christians were doing, how busy they were, and how little time they had on their own, especially if they were slaves. They were, they were uh, uh, at the mercy of their master. And yet we fill our time with so many things, and we say, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have time to, to join a community group. You know, I can barely even make it on Sunday morning. You know, how, how, do, you, how do we expect to have a community of people that really love each other if we don't spend time together, if we're so busy? Maybe we need to look at our activities and cut some things out. As that song said, maybe we need to make room <laughs> for what's important. If we're, we need to make room to, to, to do what Jesus commanded us to do, which is love one another as he loved us. And that's difficult to do on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning is great. We hear the word of God. We, it's kind of like the, the early uh, uh, Christians in Jerusalem where they went to the temple. They heard the apostles. A little bit like this. Um, we were coming and listening to some teaching. But it's really tough in that kind of environment to have community. Community takes place in a more intimate environment, like in a home. Just to um, show you in the New Testament, when Paul is writing various letters, he talks about church meeting in homes. Um, and in some cases, this is because it was, the Christian religion was illegal until 300 uh, or so AD. But it talks here about, in, in uh, the letter that Paul writes to the Romans, the church in Rome, he's writing, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Read also the church that meets at their house. To uh, the Colossians, um, it's in modern-day Turkey, Colossae. It says, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and to the church that meets in your home. Churches were smaller. People knew each other, and they were able to practice uh, community and loving each other. Now, what did they do when they met together? That's a good question. We saw that they met in homes. Acts chapter 2 says that. But what did they do when they were meeting? Well, what's happened is in the the letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece, we know some of what they did because they were doing things wrongly. This letter was uh, written about 55 AD, so it's about 20 plus years after Pentecost, after the first people became Christians. And by this time, people were not 
20 years later, people were not practicing community the way God had intended it. They were meeting together, that's true, but in the meetings, they were not doing what they should do. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding on to the traditions that I passed on to you. Okay? But then he says in verse 17, but in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. They were doing things in the meeting together. It was good that they were meeting. They made time. They made room to meet. But even when they met, the things that they were doing were not practicing love in the way that Jesus had commanded them to practice love for each other. So because of this, we know what some of the things that they were doing were, and we also know what, how they were practicing those things and doing those things wrongly. So let's just kind of walk through a, a few of those. One is we can see in, in chapter 11 that when they met together in the evening, and it was in the evening, not the morning, they had a meal together. And he says, I hear that there are divisions among you. Okay? Now, it seems to be that some of the divisions were between those that were rich and those that were poor. Because what's happened is it looks like those that were rich came earlier and ate all the food before the people that were poor came. Okay? Um, we're not sure if it's a, like a potluck type style of, of you know, providing food, but it, it talks about, for in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. Not only were they not waiting for the poor that came, and the poor may have come late because maybe they were slaves, and maybe they had to work late, but they were not being waited for, and then waited on, and, and there were people that were there were drinking wine, which was commonly used with meals, but they were getting drunk. Paul is, is abhorred. This, this behavior is, is, is very bad. He says, you better if you're that hungry and you can't wait to eat, you better go ahead and eat at home before you come. But he says, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Because of this, these divisions, because of the fact that even though they were supposed to be loving one another as Christ loved them, they were starting to um, treat other people differently because of, of how much money they had, their, their socioeconomic status. He says, what was happening, that God, God was bringing judgment on them because of this. I, I remember um, at, at times um, in when GICF was fairly newly started, and you know, for me it was like, okay, after church, let's go out to have lunch together. And then I, I realized there were some people that weren't joining us for lunch, that we asked, and they said, no, no, I, I don't think I'll join. And then what I found out is because they didn't join us because they couldn't afford it. They wanted a very tight budget, and they couldn't afford to join us for lunch. That thought had never even crossed my mind that somebody wouldn't be able to do that. But those are the kind of things we need to be sensitive to, that we need to be thinking about. You know, this is a, GICF is probably the most 
diverse church I've ever been in in my life. It's, you know, ethnically, nationality-wise, uh, socioeconomically, it's a very, very diverse church. But that calls especially for, for sensitivity because it's very easy for um, people to divide up along those lines. Maybe you have a, you're in a community group, but everybody's just like you. You look around your community group, do you see diversity? I see diversity here. You know, it's easy to get along with people that are just like you. You know, same ethnic group, same nationality, we all get along fine. But is that what the Lord really wants? He wants to see diversity, and he wants to see us um, get along with each other. You know, you know even, even within racial groups, you know, I, I, it's one of the things that's interesting working with refugees. You know, we have various Afghan refugees. And, you know, I realize that some refugees from a certain part of Afghanistan don't like refugees, from a, even though they're the same ethnic group, because they're from different cities. Because this group helped the Taliban, and this group didn't help the Taliban. <laughs> and then you've got the problems between the Afghans and the Iranians. And then you've got the problems between the Persians and the Arabs. I mean, you have all these kinds of issues. And we, we can easily bring those kind of things into the church. And one of, one of the, the, the privileges I've seen is where people have learned to love each other coming from very, very different, different backgrounds. Ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, nationality. When we can get along like that, it's, it's pretty amazing to people on the outside. That's like, how do they get along? And I hope our community groups reflect the diversity that we should have, and we, we don't just seek out people just like ourselves, but we are willing to welcome others that are from those diverse backgrounds. We also see not only did they have a meal together, they had the Lord's Supper. And we see this, we often quote this when we take communion together. But it says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. He's basically saying it's supposed to be the Lord's Supper, but the way you practice it doesn't really reflect what the Lord wanted. Um, and he says, because of these divisions, what's happening is um, they're bringing judgment upon themselves. It says even some people within the church, it says, are sick and have died. God was so concerned about there being um, community that he was even bringing some of these people into judgment because they were um, not uh, practicing. Um, community and love for each other as the way they should. If we continue on in that section of chapter 11 through verse four, um, chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, we also see an emphasis on, on spiritual gifts. And, and John uh, Freiberg talked about this last week. We're part of a body. Everybody has a role to play. Like every part of our body has a function to fill. Paul says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities. But it is the same God who empowers all in everyone. There's a lot of variety, not only in the ways I described before, but there's variety because God has gifted each of us in a different way. Some people have a gift of giving. Some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have a gift of administration. Some Everybody has different gifts. And if you're a believer, God has given you, and he says in the Bible that you've been given a gift to use. 
But it also says, to each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each of us has a role to play. It's like we're a body part, and if one part of the body is not functioning properly, the whole body is going to suffer. And it's very easy to come on Sunday morning, sit and listen to some sermons, and be a body part that's not functioning. But we're called to serve and utilize that gift. And it's difficult to do in a large group. There may not be a, a thing, something that you need to do in a large group. On Sunday morning, there's people that serve in Verity, people that serve in the Rock, people that serve in the music team, people that serve the technical team. There's various people that are serving, but for the majority of people, they're not serving, and they're not using a gift on Sunday morning. A community group is a place where you can serve and utilize a gift for the common good, for the, good, the, the benefit of other people. And I think you look at the bottom, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. This may have been part of the division within the church. People were separating themselves. Well, I'm, Jew, I'm a Jew, I'm not a Jew. I'm a slave, I'm not a slave. You know, there's all these reasons we have for naturally um, separating ourselves. But the focus in the church is that we all participate and use our gifts for the benefit of everyone else. And then chapter 13, Paul's talking about, well, it's good that you have gifts, but some people were misusing the gift that um, they were given. They were kind of looking down on the other people that had different kinds of gifts, people that were, were speaking in tongues or a, a foreign language. Um, they were looking down on people that didn't have the gift of tongues, or people that could prophesy. They were looking down on people that couldn't prophesy. People that had the gift of knowledge were looking down on people that didn't. And he, Paul says, hey, it's good that you have a spiritual gift. It's good that you can serve and you should be serving. But more important than what you do and how you use that gift, more important is that you love each other. Love is the most important. If I have all these gifts, but I don't have love, what good is it? I need to have the love that Jesus commanded us to have, to love each other as he loved us. The gifts are not going to be here forever, but it says love will be. That should be our focus. In chapter 14, He talks about what is done in the meeting. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, and that's for the, the church, house church meeting, it says each one, each one, I put that in italics, has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, or a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. In a home church, home community group, people have the ability to contribute. It's a smaller group. Everybody, and Paul's expecting that everybody will contribute to what happens in that meeting. You know, sometimes people, people think that um, they call a community group a Bible study. But as we look at the house church, it's much more than just a study of the Bible. That's part of it, but there's more. People are to be using the gifts. People are to be 
uh, coming, encouraging, whatever. And it says, let all things be done for building up. Uh, again, when I was, when I was uh, in Dallas, we had a, uh, as in my church, we had a meeting on Sunday evening. And it, it was a, a meeting, kind of like a house church meeting. And we were encouraged to be thinking and praying during the week what we would share on Sunday that would benefit others. If everybody did that in a community group, if during the week you're praying and thinking about what can I share with others this week that will benefit and encourage them, that will build them up. Maybe you had, had, had read a, um, something in your quiet time in the, in the scripture that you wanted to share with people, something you saw, something you discovered that excited you. Maybe God had answered a prayer of yours and you wanted to share that with people and praise, praise God because of, of the answer to prayer. Maybe you had a need and you needed someone to pray. But maybe you had a song you wanted to share because it was an encouragement to you and you thought it might be an encouragement to other people. That's the kind of house church or community group we want to have where people are coming. They're not coming to take. They're coming to give. I think, I think for, for those of you that are married, you know, I think the, the, the worst um, way to go into a marriage is to be getting married to someone you're expecting to receive from the other person. I think the biblical way, if you're going to marry someone, is hopefully you're somebody that is, can, can give to the person that you're getting married to. You want to be a giver. You want not want to be a taker. And I think it's the same way with the community group. Hopefully you're somebody that's going into this wanting to utilize your gift that God has given to you, that he wants to serve, you want to love other people, and you in turn will benefit from that. Again, I just did a little chart, because I said, for the, for the early uh, Jews, yes, they would have had some community in a temple setting, but the participation that they could have would be very limited. They could talk to some people and whatever, but you didn't have that intimate um, relationship, and they have a limited ability to participate in anything that was done. Same with the synagogue. People would come. They, would, they could be passive if they wanted to, um, but their participation was limited. But in, in the home, when they met on the first day of the week, they were expected to fully participate. And at JICF, you know, we have Sunday morning. You're obviously all here. Uh, some people now, I guess, are used to, to going to church online because of the pandemic. But that's moving in the wrong direction. <laughs> that's even less community. At least on, when you come here, you have a chance to see people, catch up with people, even though it's on a superficial basis. But at least you have an opportunity to, to see people in the flesh and maybe follow up later. But where you really have an opportunity to have that community and express your love for one another is in a smaller group of people, in a home, um, and we're hoping to have these community groups throughout the week, either meeting on a weekly basis or, or, or a bi-weekly basis, where you can get to know people and have that, express that love for each other that I think Jesus commanded us to express. 
these are the kind of things that we're hoping to see within the community groups at GICF. Um, one is um, reminding each other of our mission, which is the Great Commission. You know, most businesses have a mission statement. I would say our, our mission statement as a church follows the Great Commission. The Great Commission is that Jesus commanded us to make disciples. We're to be sharing our faith, and it says to baptizing um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching people to obey everything Jesus commanded. That's our great commission. But what did Jesus command? We're supposed to teach people to you know, obey what Jesus commanded, but what did Jesus command? Well, go back to the first commandment, go back to the second commandment, and the third command, which is that we're to love each other. Those are the kind of things that we need to remind ourselves we're together to accomplish. That's our mission. And so sometimes I've been in some groups where we will repeat. At the beginning of the meeting, we repeat the, the Great Commission just so we're all reminded that we're not just there to have a nice social time, to catch up with friends, just for a, to have a Bible study. We're there for much more than that. We're there to encourage each other to fulfill the Great Commission. Ideally, it's a place where, where you have a meal together. It may be potluck. It may be a situation where you order food out and people share in the cost. But just take into consideration if somebody can't afford it. <laughs> Don't expect them to pay. May you can remember the Lord's Supper in your community group. In fact, we encourage that. It's not just here on Sunday morning. You don't have to be a pastor or a priest or whatever to, to remember the Lord through the, the bread and the cup. Teaching and discussing scripture is very important as well because that's, that's where we can really learn the Bible. I have many um, times where I've learned a lot through meeting in people's homes and having a Bible study. But a community group is much more than a Bible study. It's a place to worship. I, we used to have difficulty if you didn't have anybody that could play guitar and you had to have a songbook and everything. Nowadays, we have Spotify. You can turn the lyrics on and you can watch the, watch the lyrics and you can sing along. It's very easy. <laughs> um, sharing highs and lows, you know, sharing things that, that um, you can praise God for that, that he's doing in your life. You can share the lows. Maybe you've fallen into sin. Maybe you're just having a difficult time with something, you can share that, and people can pray for you and support you. You can, should be a place where people can encourage each other. Maybe admonish each other. Sometimes some of that may be done outside the group. You get to know people within the, the community group, and maybe, hey, let's have lunch together, because you see that somebody's having a struggle. And maybe they don't want to share it in a group setting. Maybe it's better if they can share on one-on-one. But it's out of that group you start developing those close relationships where you can have the community that you desire. And then collecting an offering for someone in need. In some cases, somebody is having financial problems. Maybe they lost a job. Maybe they have other issues. And then finally, preparing and planning for some kind of outside ministry. Maybe you as a group would like to do something together. Because when you do that, it often brings people together when you have a common goal and a common um, thing to, to accomplish. Next Sunday, our plan is we're going to uh, do something a little bit different. 
we are going to have a time where people that have been involved in community groups are going to share what difference the community groups have made in their lives. How the community group has helped them, how um, they've been encouraged, how they've grown as believers in a community group. And we're also going to give people an opportunity to sign up to join a community group if you're not in one, because we're trying to form a number of community groups uh, throughout the Jabodetebek area. So that's what we have planned for next Sunday. That's the, the third in the three-part series on community. But again, what's most important is that you look at your time. Are you really making room for community? Are you frustrated that you don't have community because you're so busy and you don't have time to do anything but just show up on Sunday morning? And maybe not even that. We hope you'll consider making room so that you have a chance to love each other as Jesus loved us. Let's pray. Father, you, you have made us to be people that need community. Father, we want to find community in the right place with the right people. Father, we confess our schedules are often packed. Now that the pandemic's over, they're becoming more and more, our schedules becoming more and more packed with activities. Father, we pray that you would help us be wise in the way we spend our time. We might spend it in a way that would demonstrate that we're seriously obeying your command that we love each other as you've loved us. We, we long for community. We long to be loved and to love others. And we're thankful that you've provided us with scripture so we understand how that was practiced in the early church as well as how it wasn't practiced properly. Father, cause us to be known as people that love each other in a way that the world may not normally understand and that that may cause people to be drawn to you as they see the love that we have for each other. We pray these things in your son's name. For his sake, amen.